Welcome to week number three, episode number three of What Do You Know About Sports? Gary Jeffries, Lance Roberts, and myself, Randy Steinman, as uh, we uh, head into December here and some exciting things coming up. Uh, first of all, guys, uh, hope you had a great week, and uh, we all saw each other uh, on a Saturday in Waterloo, and probably first time in maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 years we were all together, and that was great to see you guys. That was awesome, yeah. It was good. I think Gene enjoyed it. That's good fun. Good fun for sure. Great memories. It really is. It really is. And we've got lots of great memories to uh, start off with the show here today. Uh, first of all, uh, just quickly introduce everybody. Gary Jeffries, a longtime CIS football coach and basketball coach, uh, 2005 Vanier Cup winner, which we'll address on the show today, and uh just a, a guy who's been involved in sports all of his life as both a, an athlete and a coach. You've got Lance Roberts to the upper right of the screen here, longtime NHL referee, refed close to 600 NHL games, uh, continues to be an off-ice official in the Canadian Hockey League and has uh, refed international events as well. And myself, Randy Steinman, longtime uh, sports broadcaster, both uh, radio and television, uh, 40 years all told and now retired. And uh, I'd say the the three of us have known each other for probably about 25 years. And uh, we just sort of started this project up again a couple of weeks ago, this uh, podcast. And we're really excited to get going here. This is our third episode. And should mention off the top, today is December the 5th, 2023, just to uh, give you a reference point on uh, where we are in case you were watching this at a later date. And uh, Gary, this is the uh, 18th anniversary this past week of the 2005 Vanier Cup when the Laurier Golden Hawks, coached by yourself, uh, beat Saskatchewan in a thriller. And uh, it was a great memory for me as well. I was there that night. But uh, what do you know about the 2005 Vanier Cup? Well, um, it, uh, you know, December 3rd, uh, 2005, as, as you, uh, you you just referenced, um, probably one of the the happiest days uh, of uh, of my life. Um, it uh, uh, resulted, of course, it, as you said, the the, the winning of uh, the the top the top prize in university football in, in our country, and uh, it uh, it really was a it was a process. I, I'll, I'll reference that here a little bit. Um, it, it, it certainly wasn't just all of a sudden in 05 we got real good and and uh, and ran the table um uh, we can go back to about 2002 and uh we were a one in seven football team um but uh with a lot of young talent and uh we lost a number of games that year that were very very close um we came back uh the next year in 03 and that that was actually my my first year as uh, as the head coach um, with this great group of kids, um, and uh, and they worked their butts off in the, in the off season. And uh, in '03, uh, we went six and two. Uh, in '04, uh, we were the, uh, the the first Laurier football team to ever go undefeated and untied in the regular season. Uh, we went eight and zero. We ended up. Uh, we won the we won the Yates Cup uh, versus uh, McMaster. Uh, went to the national semifinal at Laval. 
and uh, we uh, we dropped that one, so we finished the season ten and one. Um, so hence, same thing in the off season, bigger, stronger, uh, virtually the same group that uh, we started with back in in o two. O five, we uh, we did we ran the table. We went twelve and all, uh, beat Western in the in the eights cup. And uh, and then ended up against Brian Towers as got uh, Huskies in the in the final uh, down in Hamilton. And uh, again, we were big underdogs, um, but uh, we uh, so, so again some great plays in that game with some great athletes. I can remember Brian Hickey making a catch late in the game um, over the, the 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 back of of a defender and kept the drive going. Andy Beckler scored a big touchdown in the fourth quarter. Uh, minute 45 to go. Uh, we're third and third and 16. Minute and 45 to go, third and 16 around midfield. Um, and uh, we decided to go for it. And uh, Ryan Peer hit Don, Donnie Luciani, and he caught it probably for about 14. And he lunged and, and fought, and he got about 16 and a half. So we, we got the first down. Uh, down to 19 seconds to go, 32-yard uh, line. Uh, Adrian Hauer snapped it to Jewel Wright, and Brian Devlin knocked a 32-yarder uh, through the uprights, and uh, and the Hawks won. Hawks won, and, and uh, as I said, it was uh, it was one of the great days of my life, and, and we have memories there that uh, about 130 of us uh, in, in that uh, uh, in that football team, and that that include. Uh, you know, players, coaches, uh, and all the staff. Um, uh, memories we'll, we'll we'll never forget, and a bond that we'll always have. So um, that uh, that was our Vanier Cup run, and that was kind of the process that uh, that got it there. I, I'd, I'd like to mention Brian Towers again. Um, hadn't met the man um, until that game in in '05. I know he gets tired of of hearing me talk about that game. Um, but uh, if he's listening, um, I, I can tell you he's one of the best that's ever done it, and uh, we're very good friends now. And, and uh, so that's uh, that's my Vanier Cup story. As I recall, the OUA hadn't had a whole lot of success uh, winning a Vanier Cup in in the years prior to that. So I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, you guys went into that uh, game really representing Ontario and trying to sort of get the monkey off the, the conferences back in many ways. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure what the, what it was in terms of years. I think there'd been a bit of a drought for sure. Um, yeah, the East and West were, were, were very strong. Um, and, uh, so I, I, I don't know who we were representing. I, I just know that we, we were representing Laurier and ourselves and our parents and our, family and our loved ones and uh if it was ontario too that's great um but uh it uh it, it, it was a it was a great day well keeping those guys together like that like that team together like you, you say you had like, was it two two vanier cups you had in that's in that run no we uh we went to we went to four consecutive yates cups one two of them um but it, we, we just won the one vanier cup so keeping all those guys Focus like that over the years, and then filling in the spots and all that. That's all part of that with the with your crew to find the right players and keep that team strong like that through all those years. It's, it must be tough at the university level. 
Yeah, it, 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 I think it speaks to the character of, uh, of the young men, that, you know, on, on that football team that uh, they, uh, you know, that they they were determined. They were determined that they were they were going to stay together, and the goal was the big prize, the Vanier Cup. And uh, uh, like I said, it was a process through from about 2002, and the vast majority of them were still there in, in 05. So a lot, of your, a lot of your recruiting was probably the was part part of the uh, the process you talk about that brought the right players into that mix. I would think you got some great recruiters in those days. Yeah, the the recruiting is is the key. If if you don't win the recruiting in the off season, you're not going to be successful during the year. And uh, um, we did. We 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 were fortunate to to bring a number of great kids in back then. Uh, Rick Samich. Uh, was uh, was a head coach uh, in 2002, and uh, he certainly was responsible for uh, you know for a number of those kids that uh, that were in that program, and uh, so absolutely re- recruiting is is paramount. When you're recruiting, like, what do you how do you find those players? Like, do you go out and watch them and scout them like hockey scouts do, or do you do they come to you, or how does that process work? No, it, it, uh, you have to get out, and it, it, it's so competitive now. Um, it, it, it's paramount, as I said before, that, that you get out there and, and you beat the bushes everywhere. You, you know where, you have a pretty good idea, you know, the good programs in the province, and not just in Ontario. You know, you, you've got to get outside of Ontario as well. Um, and so having a, a great staff, uh, scouting staff, and uh, and we certainly have, we've had some some really loyal loyal uh, ex Laurier players that uh, you know that have helped us in this regard and and go out and see games and uh, talk to kids get information on kids and uh, and then we have to get them back to the school all right and, and get them in for a visit um, try and get their parents to come as well and 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 go through that whole process um, but. Uh, yeah, we we just had a lot of good people uh, that, that that get out and, and and you know and look for these kids, find these kids, and uh, and engage them and, and and get them get them back to the program and have a look at uh, you know what we have there to offer. Gary, you always hear about teams when they win a championship, uh, they sort of they're unified forever. That particular team. Um, you find that with this 2005 Laurier group, like is that group in the last 18 years uh, remained together? Are there lots of reunions, and uh, and do you see a lot of those guys still? Yeah, they're th- that group is is very very close, and, and uh, I think that's a case. So with you know with most areas, uh, the, the kids are close. Um, I, j- I just got a they gave me a a ball cap a few weeks ago. Um, from the 87 group and uh, on the side of the cap is B4L and uh, that stands for brothers for life and uh, and that's that's basically what uh, you know what we are and uh, certainly the 05 kids are no exception uh, that there's uh, yes we have get to have got together uh, you know on a number of occasions and um, our golf tournament every year is certain what uh, an event that uh, that brings them back and uh, but uh, yeah we're uh, we're very very close it's a bond that uh, will always be there yeah 
And I suspect the same is true with that that uh, 91 Laurier team that also won a Vanier, uh, you know, almost almost a generation before your team in 05, and it'd be much the same. Hard to believe that's been 32 years already. Wow. That, that really is hard to believe, yeah. And I, I'm sure they're the same. There's, uh, uh, that, that just happens in sport. I, I, I think, uh, Lance, you'd agree, it, uh, it's no different in hockey, uh, that, uh, you know, the, the guys that are in that dressing room and, and the blood and the sweat and the tears that, uh, you know, that uh, you shed together, uh, it, it brings you together and, and uh, you know, you'll always be close. Yeah, in hockey, that, that's that's really, really uh, true in that spot. But I think that uh, sometimes they get traded to different teams and whether they want to stand a cup with each other, they're not really brothers for life. They're going to go hard at each other in a, in a hockey game because they're trying to win the Stanley Cup. I don't think they really care that again, the other team won a Stanley Cup with them or not. So might be a little different scenario when it comes to brothers for life when it comes to winning a Stanley Cup. So, oh, that's true. That's true. But it still is an ex- it still is an extraordinary journey. I just find that with recruiting and football, it's so important. Uh, I I actually looked it up for the U of A Golden Bears one in sixty one and seventy one I think, and I I was uh, I, I wasn't I was just a little kid then, but uh, it's it's quite a when you look at the all the ones that have won the Vanier Cup. There's not too many that do repeat. There's like it's always a different team each year that wins the Vanier Cup, which was interesting to me because you can have, you know, sometimes we had the Islanders win four Stanley Cups in a row, or to win a football championship, I think there's a lot more involved in regards to getting there and 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 winning back to back is even tougher. I think. Yeah, I, I think we've we spread it around a little bit more recently. Uh, we went through a. A period there where Laval out of Quebec, um, they, uh, that they were pretty dominant. But uh, I, I think uh, you know some teams have caught up over there, and, and certainly Montreal this year. Um, but uh, yeah, there, there's uh, you know there, there's a lot of great programs out there, and uh, people are working at it very very hard. Yep. Um, so it's uh, it's a great product. I, I wish more people would see it. Uh, I wish it was more available, uh, you know, televised uh, for more people to see it. I wish more people would come out uh, week to week. Uh, there's some great, great athletes, uh, and it's uh, for the dollar. Uh, there's no better entertainment dollar if, if you're a sports fan than, uh, than CIS football. You sport football, sorry. I always say that uh, the, you, you, uh, the university uh, hockey is probably the best kept secret in Waterloo because it is amazing hockey, and they're all ex junior players now, and they're it's back. To, it's at a semi pro level, that hockey, and it's uh, it you know the, to get people to come watch. It's uh, I, I kind of feel bad that there's not more people wanting to come watch that that level of hockey in the in the area. We've got the Laurier Hawks, we've got the Waterloo Waterloo Warriors. Um, so it's kind of for university, you know, University of Waterloo and University of, of Laurier, and it's tremendous hockey to watch when they come in from Brock and. I know. Yeah. Well, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more, and 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 not just those two sports, university sport in general, right right across the board, uh, whether it's soccer, basketball, um, there's some really really talented kids, and uh, and you 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 know great evening or, or afternoon of entertainment uh you would have if you go out and watch them and uh 
I don't know if we, we market it as well as we, we can or should, or I, I don't know what it is, uh, but uh, you're right, Lance, uh, the university high and the women's team. You go watch women's hockey. Holy cow. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty amazing. It's, oh. uh, it's good. Lance, on, on Saturday night, after we saw you, Gary and I went to watch the uh, Laurier-Brock women's basketball game. And it, what a great game. I mean, Brock was up by nine in the first half. Laurier was up by eight at one point in the fourth quarter, hung on by one in a in a real thrilling finish. And uh, it was just fun. It just 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 so entertaining and, and great atmosphere, and it's fun to be there. Yeah, absolutely. That was a good night. I've been a part of the CIS National Championships a few times. I ran them with Hockey Canada. And when you get to those national championships, like your your national championship, that that that's incredible talented people playing at that level. It's it's something to see. We had great crowds at that CIS national championship. I was at in Saskatoon and in uh in also we were in Halifax and uh up in Thunder we were up in uh um Thunder Bay and it was like we had some great crowds for those those events, which was really really nice to see. Yeah. Well, you know what people uh when when I retired there, people asked me what was my biggest thrill and it it was that Vanier Cup in 2005, covering that. Uh, it was just a terrific uh, event. And the fact that you guys won a, a thrilling game in the in the final 20 seconds made it all the much better. But then, you know, getting back to Kitchener-Waterloo and putting that whole broadcast together and then going out and uh, joining in on the celebration in Waterloo at midnight that night was just so much fun because the, the city was just, the city had just exploded with celebration when you guys got home that night, Gary. And uh, it was one of my most fun, most memorable nights of my career. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad we, we could share it with you. We, uh, <laughs> it, it was fun. There's, there's no, no question about that. And, and uh, we, uh, we've got a pretty good uh, football team right now. And uh, hopefully that, uh, that they're going through that same process. They they lost a, a tough one to to Western this year in the eights, but they've got a young football team, and uh, many of those kids will be back. and And uh, I look forward to in the next year or two, and maybe uh, maybe celebrating another one. Hopefully so. That'd be great. All right, let's move on. Uh, we got topic number two here, and uh, this was an interesting uh, game in the NHL this past week when. Uh, uh, during a Florida Panthers-Ottawa Senators game, uh, referee Garrett Rank uh, gave every player on the ice a misconduct after a, a little bit of a skirmish. And uh, Lance, you know Garrett Rank really well, uh, yeah. having mentored him as he uh, came up through uh, the ranks, pardon the pun. But uh, what do you know about that uh, game misconduct uh, episode? Well, I just I just wanted to touch on it because there's been you know, all kinds of stuff flying around in regards to that. And one of the things that that I've had come to me is that it's never has it ever been done in the NHL before. And I believe that uh, I'm not sure mid uh, uh, around mid 90s or something, but around 1990, I think Ben Hellman put all 10 guys in the box in the game. I think in Toronto one night he gave everybody a misconduct on the ice. Same kind of scenario. And I think the thing that I wanted to talk about. You know, to you know, to give the props to to Garrett to do that, is everybody remembers the playoffs last year, 
where this was happening continually in the playoffs. There was nobody fighting. They were just grabbing onto each other, and they were all doing scrums continually. And it took – I thought it just gave the game a bad look. And, you know, the fact is I was kind of watching it going, you know, is someone going to fight somebody here? Because in our day, there, there would be some, there would be at least one fight breakout, and we'd all kind of stand around that one fight. But nobody was fighting. They are just grabbing on, hanging on, and had these, this kind of a thing where the lines were trying to break it up. So I thought that, you know, this is a great message to send. You know, it's like if you don't want to play, then we'll just put you in the box for 10, minute, 10 minutes and put you all in the box for 10 minutes, and maybe this will kind of get the message to the players that, yeah, you know, fans love to see this, you know, the tanglements and people going to fight, maybe fight. And, but if there comes a point where there's times to break and let's get to the faceoff and get the game going again. And I don't, like I don't uh, as a supervisor, as an official, a lot of the referees that I do supervise in this area will probably, you know, uh, know that I, I don't look at, I don't really condone officials handing out misconducts like chicklets. You know what I mean? Like, I like to see them have something that shows that they you know they have to give them misconduct or they have to make sure that they make that misconduct call if there's you know if there's abuse or something to that effect or if they have this situation and I think that you know Garrett doing that it was done in the right context of finally saying enough's enough and saying let's you know let's let's uh put them all in the box if you want if you want to sit there that's fine that you guys can sit there and we can wait till you want to play hockey again and I remember when we were when the minors in that we used to have a lot of situations that you know on stoppages where they would have that happen. And one of the directions that we got, which I thought was really a good direction from our from our uh, our bosses at the time, was if you get in a situation like that, as you go in and you give the two or the extra two to someone for you know starting the scrum and the one finishing it, you might give you know try to get an extra penalty in there for a minor penalty just to send the message that we're not going to have this happen. But then there's a situations where you they continue to do it. So the instruction was, and I, and I liked it, because you'd go to the coach and say, okay, next scrum like that, we're taking someone for 10. We don't know what we're going to take, but we're taking somebody, right? So it was a, be a scrum one night. I was I forget what playoff game it was in what city, but it was in the minors, and there was a bunch of big scrums. I'd already gone past the minor the, you know, sports from Lake Conduct penalty, and I took one guy out of there for 10, and I said, you're going to the box for 10. And they're all like, what about that guy? I said, no, no, I told you, one guy. And that's it. So I took the one guy out of the box. After that, they were pulling each other out of the scrums. It was like there's no one to go for 10. So there's different ways of handling it. But it's also something that I think the game needed to have that happen. Because that playoffs last year was really tough to watch at times with all the scrums and the grabbing and the holding on. Another thing with Garrett Rank that I really wanted to mention is that, you know, we've had... uh, I be I, I had a lot lot of time with Garrett coming through the junior ranks and everything, and but one of the things that's interesting that I I, I looked at because Garrett Rank is now referee the National Hockey League, and Morgan McPhee is another young up and coming official headed for the National Hockey League at some point, and there was also when I refereed Mark Bynes was a linesman in the National Hockey League, so what I'm trying to kind of pick to put together here is that. That's three officials that have come and gone to the National Hockey League from Elmira. That's three. And the, and the odds of getting to the National Hockey League as, a, as an official, uh, I saw the stat one time for all the officials in Canada is 0.0001%. We're talking about the little town of Elmira 
has three officials that have been to the National Hockey League. What does that tell you how great a program they've had there with great, you know, uh, um, opportunities that they've given their officials, you know, and uh, I think it's just a, a, a something that's a testament to Elmira and the, and the overall officiating, you know, in the area to have three officials from Elmira go to the National Hockey League is quite a, I think it's quite an event. Actually, for a while there, uh, I don't know if it if it still is a, a, a referee or official hotbed, but Guelph uh, was a, a, a great place for officials to come out of. It seemed like about three or four of them at one time were, were out of Guelph, too. Yeah, we had a lot of officials out of Guelph, but some had migrated to Guelph. They weren't from Guelph. They had moved to Guelph, basically, okay. because it was closer to the airport and stuff like that in those days. But yeah, they did have a lot come out of Guelph. Uh, you know, yes, Ray Scapinello, Ron Asselstein, um, Willie Norris, uh, they were all, you know, Guelphites that, that came out of that area. So that was, at that time was quite, quite a thing, but a part of that was just proximity to the airport and the area and that with the national league, had six teams in the league and different things like that kind of helped that, that sort of happened for, you know, Guelph was, it was a pretty prime place to have from re- officials coming out of the league. They had Bill Dvorsky there who Paul Dvorsky, Greg Dvorsky is their dad. He was a big influence in that area and big influence of all of Ontario as a one-time you know, a referee and as a supervisor. And a lot of that had to do with Bill Dvorsky in some, in some, in some ways. He was, uh, he was a legend for sure. I don't, uh, I don't know Garrett at all, uh, Lance, but I, I understand he had a, uh, a pretty difficult decision to make when uh, when he was younger, and, and that's uh, whether to to go on and and pursue the officiating career or or become a professional golfer. I guess he's a, a terrific golfer as well. Yeah, he he he's, uh, he was just about. He had, I don't know exactly how it went, but he just about ended up going to the Masters. I think he was one stroke away or one hole away from in a, in a match play to get to the Masters and be a part of that, but. He's a he's a remarkable athlete. His father was a, you know, was was just a tremendous man, and had a, had a lot of influence on him and and, and his brother. And um, I remember Garrett coming to me and asking me, you know, about this decision a little bit. He talked to me about it, and all I, all I could say to him was that I don't know uh, if about the golf world, but in the officiating world, I believe some days you. I, I actually said to him, "Someday you'll you'll referee in the Seneca Cup Finals." So. And I think, you know, I, I don't know if I influenced his decision, but I had a lot of time with him, watching him, supervise him. I put him into his first junior game when he started refereeing, and he was a, he was a natural right off the bat. So he's got an amazing, uh, he's, he's got an amazing ability as an athlete, plus mentally, he's so strong mentally, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Lance, Lance, I've golfed with you, and you're right. You don't know much about the golf world. <laughs> you got that right. Yeah, absolutely. I haven't gotten any better since I last golf with you either. Hey, you always hear about, you know, how it's tough to find young officials these days just because of the abuse that they, you know, can take from coaches and uh, often parents. Um, and, and you hear about how it's tough to get young people involved. Uh, what, what kind of advice can you give to a young uh, kid, boy or girl, who is thinking about, to maybe becoming an official in hockey. Well, I, I mean, you, you've got to get you know started uh, started officiating, and it's and, and it's it is intimidating. But we've got lots of support systems happening now, a lot more. 
uh, a lot more recognition of the fact that they're, you know, for coaches and that, for responsibility, we have a lot of things in Hockey Canada now to do with maltreatment. And, you know, there's things that have some very significant uh, uh, penalties for, for, you know, if you're abusing an official, especially a young official. We have a green arm program starting that we've started this year that if you're under 14, between 14 and 16, you're going to wear a green armband to show you're starting out and you're, you're learning. So there's lots of little things we're trying to put in place. And for officials, one of the things that, you know, the things that they talk about officiating, to start officiating, they talk about the fact that, you know, they get paid to do the job. Well, they don't get paid a lot at times when they're in minor hockey and that, and it's not why they referee, but the things that I tell recruiting-wise for officials to come and, you know, become a part of being an official is all the skills you can learn at a young age. Like I started refereeing at, at that age of 15, the skills of communication, the skills, the, the skills of, you know, fitness and working, you know, skating out there, the skills of being able to communicate with people and the, 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 the and plus the friends you make as you go along and the contacts you make. There's so much involved in officiating that's so, so positive for, someone who, who gets involved and can get past all the noise on the outside of it, that they have, a, they're, they get, they, they, they're there for life. A lot of officials stay for forever, which is, which is part of the reason why they do it because of the comradeship and all the things that they enjoy in the friendship and the communication and the excitement of being a part of the game. So there's lots and lots of advantages of being an official and we get past the noise of some of the coaches and that, and the fact that you can, throw a few of one of the hockey game if you decide you don't like that then that's also you know i don't like to give the power trip but you do have that ability right so yeah, yeah it's a great opportunity well and just just quickly before we move on um i, I just have one question about the the, the, the misconducts and, and the mass misconducts um and the kind of statement that made uh there were only seven minutes to go in the third period uh it was a four nothing hockey game um, would you want to make, or would you think that that same decision would be made in the first period? Uh, nothing, nothing. Uh, are, are you, uh, are you going to consider throwing, you know, 10 kids off the ice for the rest of the game? Uh, or did you have to look at the situation and, and, and before you'd ever do something like that? Well, I would, I would put it in this, in this context is that it must've been happening in building as the game went on. You're not going to react to it until you know that, that that you've had enough of this stuff happening. I don't I don't know how the other scrums went before that, but there came a point where that point of the game where they'd had enough of this grabbing on, hanging on, and it was just a situation to say, okay, you got this. You want to you want to play? You got ten each. Last seven minutes of the game, four nothing. You can you're you're out of here, kind of thing. But I would think it it was probably. Um, an assessment as the game was going on that they decided to say, okay, we're going to make this decision. So I, I think that it was all part and parcel of the whole hockey game. Okay, that makes sense. All right, great advice there on uh, helping out young officials to get started. And we are going to move on. Boy, oh boy, guys, time flies uh, on these shows we're trying to keep these shows to about 40 minutes and uh so we're going to keep moving here with our, our third topic of the day and i wanted to talk a bit about this uh this cory perry story here uh which has happened in the last week which is pretty unbelievable in that the the rumors that stemmed from that story were just 
disgraceful. And uh, I guess I just want to address it. And again, here we are, we're in early December here, so things could change quickly uh, in, in real time. But uh, in the last week, Corey Perry um, uh, had an incident uh, at some Chicago Blackhawks event, um, and his contract was terminated. And he went on waivers, and no one claimed him. And at this moment, he remains, uh, I guess, a free agent. But what really bothered me was, uh, you know, the the rumor mill started almost immediately after this incident had happened in 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 Columbus, and um, unfortunately, uh, the rumor mill involved the Blackhawks young player Connor Bedard and a member of his family. Unfounded rumors started by online trolls, I'm sure. I didn't see any mainstream media um, reporting what everyone else was hearing and reading about online. But it, it, it just really, it really bothered me. One, in that, you know, the world is so quick to just pick on ups, uh, unsubstantiated gossip and rumor and and run with it um and also it bothered me i guess that the blackhawks uh really didn't properly address what really happened and at this point still really haven't addressed it which just leads to more speculation and i i just want to see what you guys thought of that whole story i'm pretty sure you're going to be as um, appalled as I was by some of the rumors that were out there. But, you know, should a team like the Blackhawks and their PR department be doing a better job of just becoming uh, more vocal and straightforward and honest about what, what really went down here? I, 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 go ahead. Go ahead, Lance. I just want to quickly say that <clears throat> Chicago had, had also had Still had some lingering from a previous situation that they had kind of fumbled the ball with that one in regards to a player and a trainer and all that stuff that was happening in that situation, which is all public knowledge now. Not to dwell on that, but I think that this second situation that came up, whatever it is, and I don't know anything insight in regards to knowing what happened with Corey Perry. Um, I don't know Corey Perry. But the thing about it is that I think that they had themselves now in their second situation in, in less than a year, just about, or maybe, you know, it's still kind of, you know, ha- you know kind of lingering with them and still, you know, on that back burner. And to have this happen, I think that, you know, they had to do something quickly. They had to get something done quickly. They had to make sure they got it out there and did not want to, you know, put out this, the, the right information without giving away the information that they can't talk about because there's so much involved. There's, and I think that's why this whole thing took its run to the, through the internet. Like it, the, all this stuff does, which was like you said, none of it was true. That's the, that's the worst part about the, the internet when they start running that stuff out there. I, I think uh, you're, you're right on Lance. It, it goes back to that incident back in 2010 uh, didn't come forward until I think 2021 um, that organization the, the Blackhawks I, I think they have a they, they've got a history 
uh, now uh, of, uh, of protecting uh, the organization at all costs, their, their reputation, and uh, and cover up uh, the best way we can, and and uh, uh, instead of coming forward, instead of coming forward, and and, and uh, being honest with the public, and and uh, hence when when you don't do that, uh, and you don't do it quickly, uh, something like this arises, uh, Randy, and and uh, it's horribly unfortunate, <clears throat> both for Perry and and uh, the people that are implicated. Uh, it uh, uh, it's uh, you know it, it's it's horrible, so. Um, I, I think it's incumbent upon the organization to, to come clean and, and uh, um, you know, and, and I understand that the reputation of the, of the club is important, but uh, I think the reputation of the individuals is more important. Right. Well, the hockey culture, the hockey culture is changing rapidly. Um, the culture of hockey did have its dark side without, without a doubt. And it was in the days you know, back in the those you know, 70s and 80s and 60s and into the into the 90s, you know, hockey players did have this outlook and had a different approach to things. At times, it was not was not suitable. It wasn't proper. And I think that that's kind of the stuff that we're they're still cleaning it out. We haven't quite got the whole thing cleaned out. Hockey Can is doing their best to try to bring you know bring to light the incidents and try to make sure we stay on top of those types of things and they're treated you know very severely and they're reacted to there's no there's no room for error here and i think that that's part of the process happening here with Corey perry and the hockey mentality and they're trying to get on this quickly how chicago's handling it i don't know what this what the incident was so i don't know if they're handling it well or not but i do know that the internet is is, is quite a place, as you say, where the trolls run, and you really have to watch what you're reading there when you're talking about what happened with, with Corey Perry. Well, here we are a week later, and, and I, I, was, I was online this morning, and I'm still reading comments from people that have been posted in the last, you know, 12 hours, 24 hours, that, that are, are still going back to the rumor as if it was still true. And it's, it's pretty much now been been proven and stated by anyone that it not true and and but unfortunately people are going to have you know that story in their mind and and you know for another 10 15 years probably still will be bringing it up and i i just wish the blackhawks i think uh almost right away had because they they'd been hearing these rumors uh and i wish almost from the get-go the blackhawks would have addressed that and said First of all, we're going to be, and we're here to emphatically state that the rumors that everyone is hearing that didn't happen. So let's stop that. Let's nip that in the bud right now. And I don't know that they really did that. It's certainly not in the 24 hours when it first started rolling. Even in the next 48 or the next 24 hours, it was it was 48 hours before it was ever really addressed. And I can't even imagine what hell. Uh, you know, the Connor Bedard group was going through during that time, and uh, and the Blackhawks weren't really coming to anyone's defense, and it just bothered me. And I hope that going forward, you know, not only the Blackhawks but NHL teams, all organizations will maybe learn from it, and uh, you know, just address things and be a little bit more upfront and and 
quash, quash these rumors before they start going. I think that what you're saying about insulating Connor Bedard, <clears throat> it's it's interesting today. I mean, going through what they do now with the like, he's had a media on like onslaught since he's been like 17 years old. So I think that the parents have done a great job for one thing, and I think that the parents of, you know, they really, I think they have, I think they have a great support system around him, of people who are keeping him, you know, in the right direction in regards to what he's doing. I, when he got drafted, brought it, when he was playing this year, started the season off, I was a little skeptical, thinking like, oh, wow, I don't know how well he's going to do in the National Hockey League. And, you know, I, I had some guys tell me he's going to be uh, unbelievable. I was like, no, well, I'm not quite on board yet. But after watching him play a few more games, he's starting to really show that he may be one of the great, one of the great ones coming up. And I think that the insulation around him and the protection around him will be really high in regards to for him himself. So I'm not worried in regards to Connor Bedard and how they'll handle it on that side. I just think Chicago has been hit twice now uh, and they're, they're reeling a little bit on trying to get themselves back on the, their ship back on the, uh, on even keel to try to be sure to get the right information out there and not get themselves in another situation like they just came out of. Right. So. It's hard, hard for us to, to, to speculate when we don't really know, uh, you know, what what happened. Um, I think all we've heard is, is, uh, is Perry has gone into the substance uh, abuse program and he, he maybe had some issues there. Um, you know, it, it, is that it or, or was there certainly, you know, something more uh, that, that's happened here that uh, and I don't know if we'll ever know. Uh, quite frankly, and, and I'm sure the the Blackhawks are, are wrestling with uh, how much they you know that they divulge, I guess, and and uh, so I guess we'll just have to play this one out and see. It was interesting, um, you know. Corey Perry released a statement that was almost more up, but not it was more upfront than anything the Blackhawks had really said, and uh, it, it's almost like the, the 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 Corey Perry PR firm, which I'm sure he has one. Uh, the, the Blackhawks could learn from that firm moving forward. Anyway, guys, great conversation. Our time is uh, our time is pretty much up here. Have a great week. Uh, we'll see you next uh, next Tuesday, and uh, stay out of trouble. All right.